Welcome to our third Fifth Step podcast. Today I'm here with Darren Ray, CEO of Fifth Step. Uh, today we're here to talk about vendor management. But um, as obviously there's been a lot going on in the world recently with uh, the Brexit leave vote, uh, I thought that we'd ask Darren what he's been talking to clients about and what their response, what their response has been. So Darren, so what have your clients been saying? Well, Chris, I think most of them are taking it fairly easy at the moment. They're um, certainly in a wait-and-see mode. Um, they're not really sure that it's made any difference. Well, it hasn't made any difference to most of them at the moment. Most of them are being reassuring to their staff and uh, to, to clients that they have no intention of um, you know, making a rash decision and leaving London you know, right at the moment or leaving the UK right at the moment. That may change over time. I think the key thing for most organisations is uh, to understand what leave actually looks like, and that's not we're not really going to know that until the negotiations are done. Um, right at this time, uh, all UK organisations um, still have to uh, remain compliant with EU law, and you know all the things we've spoken about previously about uh, information security and information privacy um, are still very much part and parcel of um, the the landscape in the UK, and will remain so right up until the point we leave. And I suspect they'll carry on because those things are the things that UK companies are going to have to do in order to be able to trade um, with the EU in future, you know, uh, uh, post-leave. Okay. I mean, we, we held a, uh, an event, a change management event a few weeks ago on the uh, subject of uh, a tame crisis and, and, and wicked problems. Yes. Uh, so um, and we, it was actually held the day before the, the leave vote, wasn't it, if That's you remember? Right, yeah. um, I, mean, I was just wondering, would you bracket you know, the, the Brexit vote as one of the, as either a, a, a crisis problem or even a wicked problem for, say, for some financial services companies? Or is it very much a tame problem that can be managed at the moment, in your view? Right at the moment, I think it's um, I think it's tame because um, there's too many unknowns and negotiations, negotiations haven't begun. Um, so there's a, a period now of knowing that we're going to leave, but not knowing exactly what leave looks like. Um, once the negotiations have started and we're starting to see the shape of what um, the, the UK's interaction with uh, the EU will be in future, that will actually give organisations something to uh, get their teeth into. I'm hoping, if I'm honest, that it's going to remain uh, a tame problem, i.e. a problem that we can get our arms around and we understand the nature of it. Yeah. Um, there might be some crises along the way. There may be some uh, some aspects that cause um, you know disturbances in the market. I don't think so. Um, you know, everyone's being a lot more mature about this now after you know the initial um, conversations and thoughts um, and emotional reactions that occurred. Um, you know, in uh, um, in Europe, immediately after the uh, uh, the vote was announced, or sure. the result was announced. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll be returning to the subject of Brexit um, on a regular basis um, over over the course of the next six to, to twelve months and, and beyond. Um, but today, we're here really primarily to talk about vendor management. Um, so, why is uh, why is vendor management such a hot topic, Darren? It's really, Chris, something that most organisations, larger organisations, have had a good handle on. Uh, for a long time. That's typically because they've got 
large, um, you know, large budgets or large amounts of money that are going out to vendors. So, actually, keeping a good handle on, you know, whether a vendor is providing a service, whether you know, you're making sure you've got a contract in place and all those kind of things, has actually been part and parcel of you know normal business as usual for larger organisations. What's happening now, though, is with um, the ongoing and increasing cybersecurity threat, vendor management is part and parcel of your defence. So if you don't have a good vendor management process in place, you can actually uh, find yourself exposed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I mean, organisations and regulators, they're paying much more attention now, aren't they, to the risk that vendors can pose. I mean, I think what, there was the example of the uh, US retailer Target that was breached, and that was an incident of a vendor really losing control, wasn't it? it yeah, it was. Now, um, not all the details have been released about this, I'm sure, but um, you know, essentially Target lost about 110 million records. Um, about 40 million of those, if I remember rightly, were um, or included credit card information, um, and the remainder um, contained um, varying degrees of personal uh, information, um, or PPI, as, a, um, as uh, it's called in the US. Uh, now, the type of breach um, um, was where the uh, in, in Target's case was that the heating and air conditioning um, organization or pro, a vendor um, was hacked and uh, the hackers found their way through to um, Target's network um, through that trusted link. Um, they then um, proceeded to download um, gigabytes of information. Um, 11 apparently. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, um, 11 gig of data um, across that link. Um, and um, extracted that information and then started to make uh, make use of it before the, the hack was discovered. So pretty bad situation uh, at the extreme end and yeah. at the extreme end of data, but no more or less data than um, you know many of uh, the organisations here in the City of London or indeed other financial service centres around the world uh, are dealing with every day. Um, you know, particularly when you start talking about you know banks and receiving all of their credit card transactions, you'd hate to see uh, you know something like that um, happen. Apparently, the gross expenses for that single event amounted to more than two hundred and fifty million dollars. So, uh, oh, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, it did, and it also resulted in um, um, in a large reputational damage for Target, with people not wanting to shop there, um, people not uh, wanting to use a credit card there, um, you know, people uh, demanding um, compensation for... Yeah. It's um, very much actions. a liability problem, isn't it? I mean, I've been talking to lots of people myself about this very subject over hmm. the last well, couple of years, uh, and I know that a lot of the liability or casualty insurers, as they call them in the US, are very concerned about you know blowing their aggregate. Uh, absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, and that's why um, you know the cyber um, cyber cover cyber cyber security insurance is increasingly um, um, popular. Is perhaps the wrong word, but increasingly felt to be a, a, a mandatory um, cover. Um, and you know, I don't speak as um, you know promoting any um, particular insurance company or anything like that, but I think we'll, we will see um, over the next couple of years this becoming a, if not mandated by the government, then I think um, mandated by social norms mm. and certainly in the US by shareholder action. Um, because if you don't have the cover and um, you know, you're a shareholder and subsequently you lose money because the organisation has been hacked, then 
the shareholders uh, will then um, sue the company and say, well, you didn't do everything you could to uh, protect my investment. And the normal kind of um, litig you know, litigation that uh, takes mm. place in those situations. I wonder, situations. actually, if it would be go down the same route as car insurance. I mean, will we all need, if we all own a laptop or a computer, will we all need to take out compulsory cyber insurance, you know, well, years down the line, and the same way that you're, you're compelled to buy, you know, your car insurance today, third-party car insurance? Whether it goes down to that kind of level for the individual, I, I certainly could see a situation where organisations have to have cyber cover. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's probably unlikely at this stage that, um, that individuals will have um, cover just because they have a laptop. Mm -hmm. They might have, or you may start to see um, you know, increasing amounts of um, personal cyber protection or, or data privacy um, uh, policies yeah. um, so that if your data... You know, is stolen or leaked. Um, you know, it protects you against identity um, fraud and those kind of things. Well, I said in the in the era of the, you know, the internet of internet of things, when we're talking about we're going to have you know Wi-Fi connections, that's everything from a fridge through to your light bulb, to you know even sensors and escalators. You know, making sure which mm. I saw a program about that on TV the other day. You know, mm. checking up for health and safety hazards. I mean, I think it's going to be an issue that becomes you know increasingly important on, on and on the individual radar as well. Yeah, well, you're right. As we as we connect more devices to our networks, there's going to be uh, more opportunities for for hackers to um, hack into them. Um, so we have to make sure that we, um, you know, as individuals in our you know in our um, in our home environment, make sure that um, our networks are protected there. Um, but as organisations, making sure that the devices that are connected are connected um, securely, um, that um, where possible, organisations are kept on the outside of, um, you know, of the, uh, of the, um, or without access to the organisation's data and only access to what they actually need at that uh, at that point at in time. Point. Yeah, sure. Okay, we'll bring it back to to vendor management, I suppose. I mean, so, um, so what should your, you know, anyone listening to this, what what, what should their organisation be doing? I guess the first thing, Chris, is to make sure that they have a vendor management system. Now, a vendor management system has um, a number of different facets, I would say. Um, primarily, it's making sure that you're managing your vendors. Okay, That means meeting with them. It means making sure that you've got um, signed contracts in place and that you have an awareness of what um, those contracts, uh, you know, the services that, that vendor is, is there to provide within the, in the contract. Uh, awareness of service levels and yeah. things like that um, as well. Um, so making sure you've got that in place um, is uh, absolutely critical. Um, and then um, assessing the criticality of your vendors um, to your business. So every organization has some vendors or collection of vendors who are you know, priority one vendors. They provide a service that if that was unavailable for a protracted period of time, either at any time of the year or, or perhaps just at you know, uh, during renewal season for insurance companies, or uh, during a um, you know another busy period of, uh, period of time, depending on the nature of the organisation. Um, if that vendor were to be uh, and their services were to be unavailable, then that would uh, uh, directly and distinctly hurt the organisation. So, making sure you've got tiering, understanding which are your tier one uh, vendors, i.e., oh. those are most critical, um, down to you know perhaps uh, you know tier. Um, four or five, where you know they're they're there, they're they're important vendors to you. But actually, if uh, if 
if their services were not available, then it wouldn't be the end of the world. Sure. It does occur to me, actually, that here we are talking about vendors, but with two guys from the UK talking of English accents, for the layman who's an English person, we're actually talking about these vendors or suppliers, aren't Absolutely they? suppliers, yeah. Vendors, uh, vendors, equals, uh, vendors equals suppliers, absolutely correct. Um, so, well, in, we, you know, we've talked about what your organisations should be doing, so how do you go about checking a vendor, uh, vendor's contract then? Uh, it's awareness, first of all, Chris, it's making sure you've got um, a contract in place, making sure that it's current. Um, uh, unfortunately, we still uh, um, you know, come across scenarios with our clients where um, there isn't a current contract in place with the vendor. So the vendor continues to provide the services on the basis, basis of a former contract, but that's more a, um, you know, on an unofficial basis. Um, you don't really want to be in that situation when uh, there's a, you know, a critical event or where um, a vendor has uh, failed to provide a service or indeed where there's been an incident um, you know, that the, the vendor is responsible for. You want everything to be um, nicely tied up, nicely identifiable, um, and understanding what the vendor's services, you know, which um, uh, services they're providing, the SLAs, so the service level agreements. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, how deep does an SLA go in a service level agreement? Um, would that be like a, a checklist, or is it a bit more... Bit more complex than that. Uh, it, it can it can be as complex as the services um, that's being provided. In all honesty, um, it, sometimes it's well a, a nice easy one. For example, might be um, service availability. So if you have a broadband connection, for example, or an internet connection, um, you may have ninety nine point nine 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 availability. Um, well, obviously, if the vendor isn't sticking to you know, 99 and three nines availability, then um, you're paying for something that you're not actually getting. So you need to, A, hold the, the vendor, the supplier accountable for that um, um, and make sure that they're improving the service and that they're delivering on what you what you want. Potentially looking for a discount for the period of time where they haven't been providing mm. that, that level of service or the agreed level of service. Um, and within the SLAs, you really hope that there would be a, um, a way and means of um, uh, escalating uh, the lack of service if that becomes appropriate. It's, um, it's, it's all sorts of things are involved. I mean, I suppose that from a business interruption point of view, there was the recent, you know, there was the, the floods in Thailand that happened a few years ago, which mm -hmm. led to delays in silicon chips, I think it was. Uh, and storage. And storage. Uh, yeah. But also, it occurred to me, actually, when we were talking about the, the, the sale, the proposed sale of the, the, the technology company Arm in the mm. UK, which apparently makes 90% of the world's microchips that go into, go into, go into mobile phones. I mean, all, all of that based in the, is it the Oxford area, or the Cambridge, Cambridge area? Cambridge area. Mm -hmm. area. I mean, looking at that, you could argue potentially that uh, if a flood or something happened around there, I mean, no mobile phones would be made for, you know, the next six months. I mean... This is an issue, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, um, single su supplier and single vendor um, risks um, are absolutely a problem that um, the organisations should consider as part of that. Now, with a situation like um, ARM, that's a little bit trickier to um, um, to mitigate. We had a client in um, in um, in uh, the US who uh, told us about a scenario um, where. Uh, following the tsunamis um, in in Thailand, um, there was actually a replacement part that um, that 
uh, this organisation needed. Now, I think, as I remember, they were a, a paper mill or something like that. Yeah. Uh, only a smallish uh, company. I think they had, uh, you know, five machines uh, that uh, of, of this type. One of them had broken down, and um, all of a sudden they were down one machine, and the part couldn't be replaced for a couple of months. Um, this ended up uh, affecting the organisation in a very negative way. They ended up having to you know, lay some people off and th that kind of stuff, all because, as you uh, suggested, a chip or a part wasn't available. Yeah. Um, now, how you can you mitigate against that kind of thing? Uh, it can be tricky, but if you've got an awareness of what the risks are and understanding your supplier and vendor relationships, um, then at least you've got um, you know you've got a chance of mitigating it. And I suppose what, what doing what, one of the ways of doing that is performing a uh, vendor due diligence. So, you know, what sort of standards and criteria do, do, do vendors need to maintain uh, that you can check against? Yeah, um, you're quite right. Um, it is um, vendor due diligence becomes uh, quite critical, really, um, making sure that. Um, um, that your vendors are financially solvent. For example, you don't want to be trading with people who are, um, you know, are, are about to go bankrupt or, or, or something like that, um, because uh, that exposes your organisation to to a risk. Obviously, yeah, sure. um, now finance departments typically will have. Um, uh, standards, organisational standards for uh, the due diligence that and the levels of um, uh, financial security that they look for in vendors, but not all organisations have that. Um, there is lots of information around uh, about uh, oh, it's credit about insurance, that. isn't there? I suppose that's what credit insurers are there for as well. That's right. Yeah, and you can obviously you can credit check organisations. Um, you can uh, for. Uh, larger organisations is obviously uh, the rating agencies who are uh, who are looking at those kind of things, uh, the likes of AM Best and those kind of uh, Moody's. Well, and, and I've, I've worked with a few. I worked with the uh, I said at the International Credit Insurance Association on the white paper recently. And one of the things about credit insurance, of course, it's not just the insurance it provides, but they also can do forward-looking forecasts and mm. by seeing spikes and trends in areas of the world or. All, all company lines where they consider there might be problems. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So um, financial due diligence is um, is an important aspect, but um, in uh, in the world we live in at the moment, actually ensuring that the organisation is a true organisation um, is important as well. Course, yeah. You know, it's all very well, um, you know, um, a couple of. Um, uh, whiz kids um, uh, coming up with an idea and selling you that idea, but if you think you're dealing with a larger company and actually it is just the the two guys you've seen, that's fine as long as you have an awareness that it is just the two guys that you've seen. So how do you um, get in, you know, get into the process of implementing vendor awareness within an organisation? Well, vendor awareness within the organisation, um, you know, most. Um, most organisations will have people who um, select suppliers uh, and vendors. Um, you know, in most IT um, settings, you have to go through a, uh, a vendor selection process. Um, you know, in order to find a vendor who meets the criteria, can provide the uh, the service level that's required, yeah. uh, can provide the functionality. But a key part, really, to a vendor awareness um, is making sure that the vendor is aware of the service that they provide you and its importance to you. Okay. Yeah. Now, I've worked with uh, organizations in the past, uh, clients in the past and um, you know, not so distant past, where there has been a suggestion of, well, we don't actually want to tell vendor A that they're so important to us because we feel they'll jack their prices up. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, I understand the, um, the concern 
However, if a vendor is as unscrupulous as that, um, are they really the right vendor? Because does that mean they're going to jack their prices up? Um, you know, should there be an incident or an event where well, you're going to depend on them even more? If that's true, but it gives you a pretty good idea about where their priorities are, really, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, making sure that the vendor understands um, the importance of the, of the service they provide, um, making sure they have an awareness of the cybersecurity and information standards uh, and policies that you have, um, making sure that uh, from a, uh, a security internal security perspective that a they're following their, those standards, but b within your own organisation um, that um, they're still very much treated as a supplier and a, and a vendor. No matter how close that relationship may be, mm. you still need to be able to protect your organisation in a way that, unfortunately, Target wasn't able to. No, no. And I guess, um, so you need to hold, you know, hold you know, regular vendor meetings, really. But I, again, it, it, would, you know, it, it depends on the size and complexity of your organisation, I imagine, is what you're going to say. So, it, it, it does, yeah. But, but having tiered and understood the importance of those particular vendors to your organization, um, meet with these organizations, with your vendors, on a regular basis. Make sure that you've got um, you know, details of how they've met their SLAs, what their performance has been. If they provide services to um, you know, just a few people in your organization, speak to those few people. Um, if they provide services to a wider uh, group, make sure that you've got a means uh, for that wider group to report problems um, or indeed good performance. You don't, you know, you don't want these uh, meetings just to always be negative. It is actually quite um, uh, positive for, uh, for building good relationships, obviously, to be able to say, uh, you've done a really good job here. I've got a really good report from you know, uh, Bob over in um, um, you know, this office um, who said that he was really pleased with the way that you guys dealt with this. Um, you know, yeah. that's, uh, that's good feedback, both for the vendor, and it helps build a, a more positive um, relationship. But on the other side, you need to be able to hold the vendor to account. Make sure that SLAs are being met, make sure that you know of any outages or failures to provide the service, however that may um, demonstrate itself, and um, make sure that you're keeping the supplier updated on any of your um, incident response, data privacy, data protection, um, you know, uh, data security aspects. Yeah. I mean, we started off talking about Brexit and the impact of Brexit on the world, but uh, I mean, if in, in two years' time it's all going to become a reality from the looks of it, uh, I mean, what potential impacts might you know, the Brexit have on you know, vendor management and supplies? Well, it's possible that um, some organisations, depending on the um, you know the the nature of the of the of the leave, it may be that some organisations will now you know, reconsider um, some of their vendors. So uh, you can imagine a situation where. Uh, a, a UK-based organisation has been dealing with a, a French organisation, sure. yeah. um, you know, and now they're going to start um, looking at that process uh, again. You know, are they going to now continue to use uh, a, a European organisation? Will they choose a, a UK organisation? Normal kind of circle uh, and cycle of things, really. Um, but Brexit may prompt um, prompt some of those decisions, or um, could potentially mean that uh, that that there'll be more change than there might otherwise have been. So they need really to start thinking about potentially a plan B or plan C now, really. Um, it, it does look like a lot of people didn't plan at all for the, you know, the event of a, of, of a, of a yes to, to Brexit. So uh, the answer is true. 
The answer is you really need to start thinking about the impossible. <clears throat> it's always good to have a plan B uh, supplier, particularly for your tier one, your critical um, services. Mm. It's good to have a you know someone uh, you know a list of those organisations who could provide those services. Um, if you're going to move um, and change vendor, um, then look at a vendor selection process. Doesn't mean you have to hold a you know a formal um, you know request for um, proposal or anything like that if that's not within your organisation's nature. Um, but what you should do is, at the very least, put together a deals principle document. Mm. What, what services are we looking to be provided? What SLAs are we looking for? What price um, do we want to pay? Um, how quickly do we want to implement this? Um, what are the risks and issues that we that we see in doing this? Now, that high-level document should um, uh, should capture your thoughts, your approach to how you're going to do the vendor selection, the key criteria by which you're going to judge those vendors um, and suppliers. But um, if you if you write it without confidential information mm. in, yeah. um, you know you might want to take the price information out um, if that's uh, sensitive. You can actually send that to um, you know two potential vendors and actually have them uh, pitch that back and use that as a um, as a high level briefing document to uh, to inform uh, the first uh, part of the vendor selection process. Okay, so um, I think the lastly, I mean, how, how how can you ensure that your management your vendor management system is documented? I mean, how, how can it be evidence? What's what's the way of doing that? The key um, evidencing really is to make sure that each of your vendor meetings are documented, uh, make sure there's a, 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 an agenda. A standing agenda is probably um, you know, good enough for, for many, many meetings. If there are continued issues um, that you need to address across um, you know, multiple meetings, hopefully not, but if there are those kind of things, they should be added either to the standing agenda or they should be added to the agenda for the next you know, X number of um, um, meetings. Mm. Um, the meeting frequency is important, but you don't want to overmeet. Um, you know, you don't want to be uh, dragging a vendor in every uh, every week when that's not necessary. If there's a an incident or a problem that's ongoing, that may well be necessary. Uh, in other cases, it may be more appropriate to meet on a you know a uh, a monthly, bi-monthly, or even a quarterly basis. Uh, quarterly is, um, you know, the usual basis when mm. there's uh, um, when uh, a service is well established and uh, and underway. Okay, right. Well, I, I think that probably concludes uh, our latest uh, podcast on vendor management. Um, I think we're entering the holiday season now, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, people are going to be uh, downloading this onto their iPhones and uh, taking this uh, taking this onto the beach of them in a, in, a, in a couple of days as they as they head off on their holidays. Hopefully, Chris, <laughs> people are looking out right now over uh, over some uh, Mediterranean uh, sunny climes, um, you know, sunny beaches and, uh, uh, and and waters, and obviously dreaming of being back in the back in the city and back at work. I'm sure they will be. <laughs> okay, but on that note, thank you, and uh, until the next time. All right, thanks, Chris. Bye.